Amen. So I have a friend whose family adopted several kids from a foreign country. And so my buddy went overseas and he was over there for several weeks. And when you adopt someone from a foreign country, sometimes, depending on the situation, you have to spend some pretty serious time in that foreign country, paperwork and jumping through all the hoops for the politics and making sure that everything's legal and all this stuff. So he's over there. And as he's over there, he's getting to know the, the, the three kids that he's going to adopt. I mean, which is such a crazy thought. You know, I mean, here's this guy coming who has not known these kids and now this is going to be his children. And so he's getting to know these children. And uh, as the week's going on, he's, he's realizing that the youngest one, Thomas, is a real handful. And so, you know, throughout the week, he's, you know, Thomas, no, no, Thomas, get away from that. Thomas, put that down, you know, and, and Thomas, his name is coming up, coming up, coming up a lot, right? So they're continuing on through the journey. They get toward the end and they end up in the U.S. Embassy. And in the U.S. Embassy, they have to get kind of the last few steps and then they're going to be able to fly back to America. So they're in the U.S. Embassy it's kind of a big deal. Like, U.S. Embassy is a big deal. Like, if you saw Argo, did everybody see Argo? Like, kind of a big deal, okay? Um, like, people with guns and stuff, okay? So, U.S. Embassy is kind of a big deal. They're there in the middle of the U.S. Embassy, and all of a sudden, the electricity goes out to the entire building. And so, everyone starts freaking out. Like, it's a terrorist attack, or, you know, is this just like a big countrywide blackout, or what's going on? My buddy knew instantly what had happened. And through all the craziness and everyone trying to figure out what was going on, one word was heard, Thomas. And sure enough, Thomas had found his way into the control room in the U.S. Embassy and turned the power off to the building. (laughs) Now that's pretty impressive, all right? I mean, he's about seven years old at the time, okay? So Thomas snuck in where he didn't belong and did what he shouldn't do. Now the book of Jude, like we talked about last week, was written because people were sneaking in to the church, And they were doing things that they shouldn't do. They were basically trying to get some influence and then use that influence to basically take people's understanding of who God was and really distort it and twist it and pull people away from the truth. So last week we started saying Jude wrote the book because he's looking at these people he loves and he's saying, look, I don't want you to be taken away from the truth. I don't want you to compromise. I want you to be able to know the truth and love the truth and live in the truth. So here we are, 2,000 years later, and you're going, why are we talking about the book of Jude? We're talking about the book of Jude because these issues are worse, I think, in our day than in Jude's day. Because here's what we got in our day. Yeah, maybe there's some people who try to gain some influence and kind of confuse people within the church building. But then outside the church building, you have podcasts and books and crazy people on TV and so many different people saying things about God. And so what happens to you and I, and we begin to go, how do I navigate this? Like, how do I get through this? They're, they're saying this about Jesus, and he's saying that about Jesus, and, and they're saying this is good for me to do, and he's saying that's not good for me to do, and, and there's all this confusion. So what do we do? Well, Jude gives us answers. Jude helps us understand what to do. And the answer that we got last week was that Jude said, okay, I want you to look at your own heart, and I want you to know how to stay in the truth. And so what he said to us was, all right, it's all about being in God's word and being somebody who prays led by the Holy Spirit. These two things will keep you on track. These two things were meant to really safeguard you from getting pulled away from the truth. Now tonight, we're talking about something a little bit different. You see, tonight Jude helps us take it another step further. You see, here's what Jude says to us. He says, okay, so there's the potential for you to get misled. There's a potential for me to get misled. But what Jude helps us understand is there's also the potential for the people around you to get misled. 
Like the Christians that you know, the people that you love, the people that you care for, these people around you can also get misled. Well, what does that look like, Jude? Well, I'll tell you what that looks like. It looks like people who go through something and end up giving up on their faith in God. Have you, have you been there? I would guess that probably every one of us that has a relationship with Jesus has seen someone that they care about or that they know decide, I'm done with God and kind of walk away. We, we've seen someone that we just, we're, we're like, wait, how could this be? They, man, I, I prayed with them. You know what I mean? Like I, I used to talk with them about God. We used to, I remember worship service, we'd be standing next to each other and, and it just felt like they loved God so much. How could they be walking away? And Jude says, well, this is something that we have to be concerned about because in the day and age that we live in, there's all kinds of people getting distracted and pulled away from the truth. Another thing that happens is maybe they don't give up on God, but maybe like we said last week about ourselves, maybe they start to live really disappointed lives. Why? Because some guy on TV or some podcast or some book they read tells them that God promises them this or that, that God owes them this or that. And then when they don't get it, they become disillusioned. They become disappointed. They don't quite know what to do. They begin to blame themselves. Maybe they didn't pray with enough faith or they didn't say the right words. And so suddenly you live in disappointment. And so I'll tell you what, I've seen both. I would guess you've seen both. And what Jude is gonna challenge us with tonight is to not just stand by and let it happen. You see, what I think happens a lot in our lives is we start to see someone moving away from God. And you know what we so often do? We, we, we talk about it and we talk about how sad it is, you know. Maybe you'll have a conversation with someone else who's a follower of Jesus. And you'll say, man, I can't believe that so-and-so who used to love God so much, it seemed, has now begun to walk away from God and they're turning away from the truth. And, and usually that's where it ends. Usually it just ends at, it's so sad. That's so sad. I can't believe that's happening. But Jude says, don't let it end at, that's so sad. Jude says, do something about it. Now, this is where we get a little bit tense because if we're honest, when it comes to thinking about people who once had a relationship with Jesus that are kind of running from that, most of us would probably say, I don't really know what to do. I don't know how to help them. I'm not sure what I should say, when I should say it, how I should say it. Well, here's Jude tonight saying, look, I want you to know that God wants to use you in the lives of those around you so that they won't get pulled away from the truth. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. Jude says, care about the people around you enough so that if they start running from God and running from what they know is truth, that you would get involved. And so we're going to look at how to do that. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope something dawns on you. And this is what's so cool about the book of Jude. See, the book of Jude, basically what he does for most of the book until the very, very end is he points out all the problems with church. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, you should love this. You should be like, you can applaud, you can stand up and cheer if you want. If I say something that you like and you agree with, that's fine. But here's what I hope, guys. I hope if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're seeing all these things that Jude's pointing out, and I'll tell you, as we read through the list, it kind of feels like he's talking about some of the people you see on TV or some of the authors or some of these people that you, you hear podcasts from. And, and these are the people, guys, if you're not a follower of Jesus, these are the people that probably make you not want to be a follower of Jesus. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like, I mean, I've heard people say, I like Jesus, I just don't like his followers, right? If you've ever felt like that, then this is your message. 
Because Jude is pointing out all these different issues and all these different problems within the church. And it gets to the point where he says, you know what? Let's do something about these issues. Let's not just know they exist, but let's actually act on it. And so tonight, that's where we're headed. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we just want you to know so badly that we can relate. We can relate to your frustrations, that there's a bunch of us who are Christians in the room that get just as frustrated when some Christian does something stupid and makes a fool of himself and is a horrible example of who God is. We get just as frustrated as you might. And so I hope that you'll hang out with us and you'll hear what we have to say a little bit as we talk here tonight. So we're going to look at Jude and we're going to look at verse 11. And so he says in Jude verse 11, woe to them, they've taken the way of Cain. Now what are they talking about here? Basically, what Jude is saying is like, okay, these people who claim to have a relationship with God and they're trying to influence people, like you have to know something about them. And, and what he's saying here is they're envious. They're envious. He says it in kind of a funny way. He brings up a story from the Old Testament. This guy Cain had issues between him and his brother, right? He got so envious, he got to the point of murder, all right? And so what Jude is trying to say is like, look, if there are people who are claiming to be followers of Jesus and they're all about backbiting and I want this and I want that, and I, then I want you to know, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not seeing a good representation of who Jesus is. You're not seeing what God really looks like. He goes on a little bit more. He tells us the next part. He says, they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Okay, so what was Balaam's error? Well, Balaam's error is this another story from the Old Testament. He was all about money. Anybody ever heard of a Christian being all about money? I guess probably not, right? Anybody ever heard of a pastor being all about, probably not, right? I mean, there's one whose last name, a televangelist, his last name's Dollar, right? It's a little scary. Just run. Don't, don't turn it on, right? I mean, and so, like, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're going, yeah, this is what I don't like about the church, and that's what I don't like about the church, that's what Jude didn't like about the church. Jude saw that as a problem. We see that as a problem, okay? So maybe you're like, oh, I don't, I don't like Christians and I don't read the Bible. Well, maybe you should because maybe the things you don't like about Christians are the same things that God is saying, look, this breaks my heart. This isn't how it's supposed to be, okay? So if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope you're seeing Jude go, this isn't what it's supposed to be like. And if you are a Christian, I hope you're saying, wait a minute, if I'm being influenced by people who are full of envy and full of greed, then maybe I should rethink that influence in my life. He goes on a little bit more. He says, they've been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Well, what is this all about? Well, there was this guy named Korah. And Korah rebelled against the authority that God placed over him, and a lot of people died as a result of it. And so he's saying, look, just like Korah, who rebelled and this whole thing broke out, if, if the people who are trying to influence you are just full of rebellion and angst, and then they're not worthy to follow. Don't listen. You're going to get pulled aside. Interestingly, and I'm not making this up, Korah actually means baldness. So you can call me that if you want. <laughs> for the baldness, not for the rebellion. I'm not rebellious, okay? Next, he says, These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. What's he saying? He's saying, look, you guys get together as the church, and these people sit with you, but they really only care about themselves. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know, if you're looking at people who are trying to influence you and they're claiming that they're close to Jesus, and, but they're all about themselves, don't listen. They're gonna pull you aside. And if you're not a Christian and you see Christians like that, that's not a good representation 
of who God is. So Jude's just painting this, this kind of bad picture for us. And it's just what he sees in the church. And he sees it's kind of a mess. And he's going, look, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Now, I love this because in the next few verses, Jude goes 100% Bob Ross style on us. You guys know Bob Ross? Remember this guy? PBS back in the day. You remember him? Right? You know as a kid you saw him, right? He was oh, the happy clouds, right? Okay? Listen to this. I promise you, like he must have read the book of Jude before he started painting. Because listen to this. They are clouds without rain. I'm like, yes, this is perfect, right? Blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted. That's like a sad cloud, you know? Um, there are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. What's he saying? Listen, this is so important. If you're a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, equally important. If you're in a relationship with Jesus and you're looking at people who are trying to influence you and you see that basically they're no, not good for anything, like a cloud without rain, I mean, it might look pretty for Bob Ross, but it's not gonna produce anything that's gonna help. A tree that has no fruit, good for nothing. So if you are looking at something and, and you're going, okay, I've been influenced by this teaching or by this person and, and, it's, and it's something I'm, I'm not quite sure if it's right about God. I'm not sure. It seems a little bit off, but, but I don't know. He's pretty persuasive. He's pretty gifted at what he does or she, she has a great argument. But if you look at their life and you see no fruit, you see no God in them, you see no joy, you see no hope, you see no love, you see no selflessness, then don't be influenced by them because it's gonna pull you away. Then he says this, and he gets real intense for a minute. In verse 14, he says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. What's he saying? He's saying, look, God prophesied or told us this was gonna happen. He says, see the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they've committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, I gotta say this. I just said this last week, but it's so important if you're reading the book of Jude. Jude is writing this book to Christians, okay? So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, what Jude is not trying to do, he is not trying to manipulate people to be afraid of God. I mean, that's a pretty intense verse that God's gonna come and judge. And, but I want you to know, he's saying this to Christians and he's just trying to remind them, look, if these guys are messing with you, if they're misleading you, if they're pulling you off track, then they're gonna stand before God one day for that. So he's not trying to manipulate people who don't have a relationship with God into one with fear here, okay? And so basically he's saying, all right, guys, look, if you're looking at people, even if they're smart and they sound good, but they're envious and they're rebellious and they're really no fruit in their life, they're defiant, then don't let them influence you. Because if you let them influence you, you'll become like them. You'll be pulled away from the truth. So there's the problem. I just gave you another chunk. Remember how we're doing the book of Jude? We're going to look at one, pro- one set of problems and then one answer to those problems. And I gave you that one first answer last week. This week, I gave you another chunk of problems. So what's the answer this week? Remember, the way we're looking at this week is not so much about us. It's about those around us. You see, Jude gives us this answer. He says, look, this is the world we're living in. There are people that are completely misleading Christians. They're, they're distracting Christians from the truth and they're a, a train wreck. Don't let them do it. And he says, but in response to this, here's one way to react. Look at verse 22. 
He says, be merciful to those who doubt. See, here's what's going on in Jude's church and in our church. When people get misled, they start to doubt. When people look at, pe- at others who are saying things about Jesus or God or how to live life God's way, and they're not the real thing, then we start to doubt. We've probably all been there, haven't we? Like, you feel close to God, and then somebody who influenced you, suddenly they start going off, and it seems a little bit weird, doesn't seem to line up with what they've said in the past, and, and so suddenly you're like, wait, is that the right picture of God, or is that the right picture of God? Like, are what they're saying now who God is, or was it what they were saying before? And so we begin to doubt, and so Jude goes, look, if you're seeing people get pulled away from God, and they're starting to doubt, here's how you handle doubters. You be merciful to them. You be merciful to them. Here's why that's such a big deal. Because most of the time as Christians, if we're honest, I think, we're not merciful to doubters. We get angry. Right? I remember being about 20 years old. I was a youth leader at the church I worked at before this one. And I was talking with a guy that I was good friends with, and he was younger than me. And he was going through some severe doubt in his life. And it was probably a lot of what we're talking about tonight. He, he'd grown up in church his whole life and heard th- certain things about God. But then suddenly, he began to hear new things about God. And he began to question and doubt and struggle. And I remember we were away on a retreat and we had all these kids up there on this great weekend. And, and he began to bring up some doubts to me. And I was a horrible representation of God to him that night. Because rather than being merciful to him and trying to understand where he was coming from and realize that maybe he'd heard some really good arguments and we needed to work through them and, and I'd try to help find some answers, instead of doing that, I got angry with him. And I, I got defensive of, I guess, my faith, you know? And, and it would turn into an argument rather than a conversation where I was trying to be merciful and point him to God. You see, if you know someone who's doubting Jude says, well, here's how you handle that. If if there's a follower of Jesus who's beginning to doubt God, they're beginning to pull back because they're not quite sure about him anymore, then the way you reach him is not to argue and not to fight. It's actually just to mercifully walk through that time with them and be able to say, okay, I'm gonna stay here with you and we're gonna talk this through. We're gonna pray this through. We're gonna dig for answers together. We're going to work through this together, but, but I want you to know through this whole process that I love you and that God loves you. Now remember, this is Jude's approach for us helping Christians who've been pulled away come back to the truth. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Don't get angry. Don't get into an argument. Be merciful with those who doubt. He brings up another group. He says this. He says, save others by snatching them from the fire. So he goes, okay, sometimes when, when there are Christians who get pulled away from the truth, you have to actually, you know, go over to them. And it's like you got to snatch them away from the fire. I mean, Scripture's clear that the Bible says that apart from Jesus and apart from salvation, we spend eternity in hell apart from God. And so what Jude is saying is, go get those Christians that are running toward the fire and snatch them away. In other words, get some urgency in you. Start to run after them with passion and caring, right? I mean, again, so often, what do we normally do when we hear someone's kind of falling away from God? So sad. So sad. I wish he'd 
wish she didn't do that. I, I don't know what's going on in her, his or her life, but oh well, I hope them the best. And Jude's go, no, snatch them from the fire. Kind of the image I get is kind of like a fireman running into a burning building and grabbing somebody who couldn't otherwise help themselves and, and carrying them out over their shoulder. And, and none of us would, after being abducted by this fireman and pulled out of a burning house, would later be like, what were you thinking? You know, we'd all be like, thank I mean, just you saved my life, you know? And, and I think the image here is, all right, not literally picking them up over our shoulders, but I think it's with some serious urgency pursuing people who are running toward that fire. Their issue isn't doubt. It's just, nah, I'm just going to do this now. I'm just going to go because it's just ridiculous. I'm just going to go and I'm going to do my own thing. And so snatching them from the fire. When I was on a, a youth retreat, I uh, woke up in the middle of the night and there was a fire alarm going off. I ran out into the hallway and there was smoke absolutely everywhere. And so I began running through the building. Some of you were there. I began running through the building, banging on doors. DB will tell you, some of these people in here in the room will tell you. And I'm screaming, fire, get out of this fire, fire. And I'm just freaking out. I'm running through the dorm. I've got the entire group out. It was about five in the morning. It was about 23 degrees, right? We're at Tuscarora in the middle of winter. And we get outside and then we find out it was a prank and there had been smoke from like a, an extinguisher and the alarm went off. I'm thankful actually I didn't literally snatch anyone from the fire. I would have been running out with two middle schoolers over my shoulder, you know. Like, Doug, it was a prank. I'm just exercising, just a little working out, you know. I've got to get my tries going, you know. Um, but, but here's why I bring up that story because I had a sense of urgency when I thought people that I loved and cared for were in danger. And I didn't care how hard I had to bang on the doors, how much I had to scream, how, what I, I would go ahead and start picking people up. That's fine. But I was going to do what I had to do to help them. And so Jude says, look, when it comes to Christians, and look, reaching a Christian or someone who has had a relationship with Jesus is different than reaching someone who doesn't. Okay? I wouldn't recommend you go start snatching people randomly who have no former relationship with God. He's saying, look, people who know the truth and have walked close to Jesus... It's like you have to feel like you're snatching them from the fire. So use some urgency and some passion. So those who are doubting, we, we show mercy. We remind them of God's love and we, we walk with them. Those running toward the fire, we kind of get a little intense. And we start to, to kind of chase them down and, and say, look, I, I'm, I'm going to do everything short of throwing you over my shoulder that I can to help bring you back to the truth. He gives us one more category here. He says, to others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. He says, all right, so there's this third category. And this third category, you have to show them mercy mixed with fear. Well, how does that work? Who would you have to show mercy mixed with fear to? You'd have to show that to somebody who has already run into the fire has already made a train wreck of their life. Because think about it for a second. When you have to couple mercy with fear, here's what you have to do. You have to say, look, I know you kind of got this thing in your head that living for God isn't what you want to do or that you know, this isn't a sin or that you know, maybe God's not there. I know you got this thing in your head and so therefore you've kind of gone your own way and you've run down your path and, and, and I want you to know this. This is how you start. God loves you. God's passionate for you. He wants you desperately. You can't run far enough for the stuff you have done has not outruled out you from a relationship with him. And there's the mercy. 
but it's also got to be mixed with fear because what happens is when somebody gets misled and then they go down a path where they make all these destructive decisions, they, they need the mercy to bring them back, but they also need kind of, not a literal, but a, a, a figurative slap in the face in that you say, okay, God loves you, you're forgiven, he wants you, but you don't want to end up back here again. You don't want to end up at these consequences again. You don't want to end up burning that bridge and that bridge again. And so you show them mercy mixed with fear. God loves you. The reason I'm telling you that you don't want to end up down this road again is because he loves you. But I want to help you not make these same mistakes again. And so you have these three categories. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to think about the people in your life who are in these categories. Who do you know that's doubting? Because your approach to reach them is straight up mercy. Who do you know that's running toward the fire? And you need to try your best to snatch them from that. Who do you know that has already run into the fire and they've made a mess of things? You need to show them mercy mixed with fear. And I think this really shows us something about how we reach people. I think it shows us that it's not always one answer and that we really have to be in a conversation with the Holy Spirit and say, God, I'm not quite sure how to say this or when to say this or why to say this, but, but God, would you help me? God, sh- help me know who to show mercy to and help me know who to snatch from the fire and help me know who to show mercy mixed with fear. Because the truth is, guys, about you and me, and I hope this excites you. We don't normally like messages that aren't about us so much. I get that. But I hope this excites you because, yeah, it's about the people around you, but it's about you too. Because the truth is, is that God's calling you guys to do something. He's calling us to do something and not just sit around and go, it's so sad. It's so sad that they've walked away. It's so sad that they've been misled. But no, he's called you and I to be active. And so when it comes down right to the, the, the baseline of what Jude is saying here, he's saying this, it's our job to point people back to the truth. It's our job. I know a lot of you guys look at me and go, yeah, yeah, Doug, we know it's your job because you're a pastor, but I'm not convinced it's my job. No, it's, it's our job to point people back to the truth. That's what Jude's saying here tonight. So how, how does this work? What does this look like? Well, I'll tell you some conversations I've had. I've had a conversation that goes something like this with somebody who, who's had a relationship with Jesus really begins to doubt. You go, look, I'm sorry that you're going through this. I'm, I'm sorry that you're struggling in your faith. I understand that maybe you've been through tragedy or maybe something that you heard really kind of shook you up or, or you're really struggling in your relationship with God now, but I want you to know that I am here to walk through this with you and God loves you and he's passionate for you. And I believe with all my heart that if you will search God out, you will see how real he is. Mercy, it's just straight up mercy. I'll tell you, um, my, my own story is filled with a lot of doubt and skepticism and struggle in my faith. And I, I can tell you from, from the other side, being someone who has struggled with that, that mercy is the answer in that moment. It's not for someone to get in your face and argue and tell you that you're wrong. It's for someone to lovingly and kindly and calmly just be there for you 
help answer questions, not get flustered and frustrated because every time you give an answer, they come back with a new question. But no, it's, it's time to mercifully help somebody walk through that process. What about snatching people from the fire? This only happened a few times in my life where I got like really intense. Um, but one time I had a great friend who I knew like, man, I just knew God could use him in such awesome ways. And he had a, a relationship with God that I thought was strong. And I saw it start to deteriorate. He went through something really hard in his life. And he started to get thoughts in his head. Maybe God's not there. And he just, he, he, he went through some really hard things. And eventually it got to the point where he, he drove to my house to tell me that he was basically done. And we're sitting at my dining room table. And he's telling me he's done and, and and he kind of stood up to leave, and, and I stood up, and I, literally, I came this close to literally snatching him from the fire. I, I literally just grabbed him, and I just, like, hugged him, and I just began praying for him. And, like, there's the two of us standing there like idiots in my dining room, just, like, tears down. I don't know if he was crying. I was like, oh, God, help this guy, you know? And, you know, and I'm just crying out to God for them. God, just show him how real you are and just do such things in his life. And, and sometimes, guys, it's just getting intense. I saw this guy running for the fire, and I'm like, I gotta do whatever I can. I think another time, right here, standing in this middle aisle, talking with someone, and they weren't giving up on God, but they were full of doubt, and, and they were questioning Scripture, and they were kind of backing away from what I thought was a real call of God on their life as well. And, and I just grabbed this guy, and I just hugged him again. <laughs> just stay away if you're doubting, okay? Come here, baby, you know? So, but I, I just grabbed this guy again, and I'm just praying for him again. We're both crying. Oh, God, just touch this guy and just show him how real you are and just do something awesome in his life. Sometimes we got to get that intense. Sometimes we got to get that urgent. What about mercy mixed with fear? Well, I sat downstairs in one of our classrooms one day with a guy whose life and world had fallen apart. And I took the mercy approach. And, and after a little time passed, I realized we had to go mercy mixed with fear. And I began to say, dude, God loves you. You're so gifted. You're so talented. And God has so much for you. But, but man, you don't want to end up here again. Like, I, like I, it's awesome you're here. It's awesome you're getting involved in church. But you don't want to like go through this pattern again. Remember how much this hurt. Remember how much that hurt. Remember what it was like when you ran from God. He loves you. But remember what it was like when you tried to do it your own way. Where'd it get you? Mercy mixed with fear. Now, the reason what's up on the screen right now says it's our job to point people back to the truth instead of it's our job to bring people back to the truth is because, honestly, you and I can't bring people back to the truth. All we can do is point them. Two out of the four stories I just told you, two out of the four of those people are currently not in a relationship with Jesus and the other two are. And so I can't carry that weight on my shoulder. If only I'd done this a little differently or helped them that way. No, I, I did my best to point them back to God. And ultimately God, I believe, is gonna eventually continue to draw them to himself. But it is on my shoulders and it is on your shoulders to point those around us that are struggling in their faith and getting misled and getting distracted from Jesus, to point them back to God. We were talking last night at my house, had a bunch of people over for a meeting, just talking ministry stuff, and it was awesome. And one of the things that we brought up was just the frustration that sometimes you try to help somebody and point them to God, and it seems like they don't want it. And Artie said something great that I just thought I'd share without asking him. Uh, he basically said that in his life, and a lot of you guys know Artie's story. He's, he's talked about it before from the stage and stuff. But, but basically, his life and, and in, in his 
own story where he was addicted to drugs and going through rehab and in and out and all that craziness, he eventually got to the point where he wanted to actually change for himself. And when he wanted to actually change, everything that all the people that had spoken into his life that he kind of pushed away, you know, when he was running toward the fire, all of that came back to him. All those little influences, all his parents' prayer, uh, you know, his rehab people giving him a verse, praying for him that way, a, a pastor coming on saying, hey man, this and that, and all that came back to him in that moment. And so you know what? For those of you guys who are like, man, I've tried this before. I've tried to influence people. Maybe you have a certain person on your heart right now. They're running toward the fire. They've already been through the fire. They're really doubting. You're like, I've tried. I just don't know. It's just not getting through. You never know when they hit their moment and now they want to change and they want to know Jesus for themselves. You never know if in that moment those things you said and those things others have said that you think are just getting blown off will come back and meet them right where they are. And so I want to encourage you guys because Jude is challenging us and encouraging us and instructing us on how to help people, Christians, who are falling away from God. And so who do you know that's doubting that you need to be mercy to? You need to bring the mercy of Jesus to them and walk with them through it. Who do you know that you need to snatch from the fire and grab them and cry with them even if they don't want you to. And maybe later they'll thank you. Who do you know that you need to show a little bit of mercy mixed with fear so that they'll wake up and realize that yes, God loves them intensely, but man, they gotta stop going down the same old road. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, what I wanna ask you to do is do something. Don't just say it's so sad. Don't just say I already tried. Do something because it's your job, it's my job to point people back to the truth. Let's pray. If you're a follower of Jesus, I wanna ask you to take this time seriously because I think something powerful could happen if we would say, all right, the people in my life that, that were on my mind, when Doug was speaking tonight, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for them and as God leads me, I'm going to do something. I think it's powerful to think about the fact that maybe some of the people on your mind could be sitting next to you, man, in the seat within the next six months because you did something and God worked through you. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray with me through these categories. I want you to think about a specific person in your life right now that had a relationship with Jesus, but they're really struggling, they're doubting. And I want you to pray about being merciful to them. And then I want you to think about if you know someone who's running toward the fire and begin to pray how God would use you to snatch them out of that mess. And I want you to think about somebody who's already been in the fire and they've made a train wreck of their life and they need mercy mixed with fear so they don't end up in the same place again. So pray specific names, specific prayers for people who need God to work through you in their lives. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, what you heard tonight was that, yeah, man, there's, there's a lot of issues with the church. We know that. 
You heard tonight there are people who say they represent God and they're a terrible representation of God. But you know what? That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that there is a real God. And it doesn't mean that there aren't real, genuine Christians. You see, God has made himself known to so many of us in this this room. And, And I'm talking about the real God, the God who is loving, the God who forgives, the God who sent his son to rescue you, the God who offers you eternal salvation, not based on you, but on him, not on your goodness or badness, but on his goodness and his death and his resurrection. And he just wants you to know him. And so tonight, if you'd like to respond to that, if you'd like to know Jesus and, and, and you'd, you know, stop, let me say this, stop using Christians or people who claim to be Christians as an excuse to, get into, to, to, to not get into a relationship with Jesus. You know, your anger toward them, your disgust with hypocrites, like, don't let that be an excuse anymore. If that's what's holding you back from a relationship with God, then think about what a waste that is. And I hope that in this place, you'll find genuine Christians. You're not gonna find perfect ones. We're gonna fall, we're gonna make mistakes, we're gonna do things we wish we didn't do. That's why we need Jesus' grace as much as you do. But I hope in this place you'll find genuine Christians who are trying to point each other to God and that you yourself will find Jesus to be real and good and satisfying and an amazing, loving Savior. And so if you wanna begin a relationship with him tonight, I'd encourage you to pray a prayer silently between you and him, something like this. Jesus, I wanna know the real you. I wanna see you for who you are. I thank you for dying for me, for raising from the dead, and that you offer me forgiveness and salvation from my sin. Thank you for this incredible gift and help me to see you for all that you are. Amen.